This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, professor of sport management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's podcast, we have a recorded interview with Amber Michkoviak, who is the Premium and Membership Development Director with the Detroit Pistons. We discuss her career in sales in the NBA and advice for students who want to break into professional basketball. I hope you enjoy. Amber, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. We're happy to have you. And this is two, uh, two episodes in a row where we've had one of our uh, esteemed Trine Sport Management alums. So uh, we're very excited when we can bring our alums on, especially somebody who's been in uh, the NBA for, for a number of teams. And tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got your start out of Trine and, and now working up with Detroit Pistons. Sure. So I was a graduate of Trine University in 2009. I went there to play softball and actually started on the teaching career path and found out that was crazy and not for me. So (laughs) I I had a teammate tell me about sports management and I had never actually even heard of it before. And she talked to me about the program and you know, I never really knew all of the um, jobs that went into putting five guys on the court or nine guys in the field or however that may be. And so I decided that that was probably my past. Sports has always been a part of my background and, and my love for in terms of hobbies. And so I owe it to her, I guess, that I started into the program. And one of my professors at the time took us to a career fair at the Mad Ants. So I went down there and handed out my resume and met the person at the Pacers and let them know that I wanted to be an event planner because I had no idea what even was a part of a sports team or a sports program. And he said, I know just the person to give you to. And lo and behold, the event planner for the premium services department of the Pacers was looking for an intern that summer. Um, went down and interviewed with her. We clicked. Um, since she was pregnant, uh, I actually did a lot of her job that summer. So we planned events at Larry Bird's house and at the racetrack and at our president's home. And so I dove right in um, head first into a career in sports and got to do a lot of things that I think a normal internship doesn't entail. Um, and then from there, I just, I spent a lot of time as an intern getting to know other departments and learning about the business and the industry and everything that it takes and all the departments that it takes to um, make the show happen. And I got to know everyone I networked and that ultimately led to a full-time position in inside sales after my graduation. So started on that route. Um, inside sales is not glamorous by any means. It is very tough, grueling. I learned so incredibly much, not only about myself, but about the product and the industry promotion after five months to the service department. And essentially what a service department is, is uh, you handle all of the season ticket holders within that organization. So with the Pacers, I think I worked my way up to about 300 and 350 accounts worth about 3 million to 3.5 million. And so my job was responsible for retaining that from year to year and making sure all those folks came back. Um, So really building those relationships. Um, And then I worked my way up to a senior manager there. And then I met my wonderful husband in Indianapolis and his job moved him to New Orleans. I had worked for the Pacers for seven years full-time at that point and wasn't sure if 
uh, retaining a position within sports was going to be applicable with our move. Mm -hmm. And my management reached out from the Pacers to New Orleans and said, hey, this girl's coming. Um, what do you have for her? And the Saints and the Pelicans created a position for me. So um, the Saints had never really had a service aspect before. They have a 70,000 person wait list. Um, so they didn't really need it. However, a lot of what they were seeing leave for the previous two seasons were their most premium club accounts. Um, so I took over a base of about 600 accounts for the Saints. And this is, this is part of my career path, but it's also a hilarious story. On my third day of work, to get people off from the wait list, they would send emails to the first 5,000 people and then the next 5,000 people. And they were interested in the seats we had open, which were mainly single locations. And my third day of work, my boss said, I know you don't know anything, but I need you on the phones. So <laughs> I answered just for the half day, 150 phone calls, was on the phone for four hours. The wow. next day I answered like 267 phone calls, was on the phone for six and a half hours. And my first initial reaction was like, where the hell am I? Like, what am I doing? Uh, so it turns out that, that those were the times, like about three times a year, when the phone would just be 30 people in a queue at a time with 10 people answering the phone. And I just learned so much about the market. And the Saints is a religion, like after Katrina, that is what brought them back to life. And um, after about a month, uh, one of the Pelicans service reps left. So I ended up taking a base of 300 Pelicans season ticket holders as well, um, which was more my niche. Um, it was great to learn about the NFL and everything that they have to offer. However, I am much more uh, prone to the NBA service in terms of benefits. It's more family friendly. Um, we can offer so much more. Um, I call the, I call, I shouldn't say this, but I call the NFL the dictatorship and the NBA the democracy because uh, the NFL league office will, I feel like, dictate so much more of what the teams are allowed to do, where the NBA provides more of the guidance and the guidelines and says, everyone's markets are different, you go from there. Um, so that's what I love about it. We have more freedom to do what we want to do with our membership bases. And so we were there for about a year and a half in New Orleans. I absolutely loved it. It was the best time of my life. Amazing people to work with and for. And a year and a half down there, my husband's job moved again back to Detroit. Uh, we're originally from Michigan, so it was okay. an easy choice to make. So came back up here again. My management from the Pelicans reached up down here. Sports is a small world. I had met um, my boss-to-be seven years prior. Um, so her and I had a lot of conversations. And with the new build of Little Caesars Arena, um, she saw a need for someone to service the suite accounts that had been sold by Olympia Entertainment that owns the Red Wings and the Tigers. Um, they were allowed to add on the Pistons to their suite holder products in LCA. And so I took on about 40 of those accounts did that for about a year and then continued to express my um, desire to be in a management role and oversee the department as a whole and proved a need for it. So ultimately I went on maternity leave to have my son that came back and was the director of the department. And I've been doing that for a year and a half with my path, but it's a pretty great one. It's, it's not one I ever thought I saw myself going on. But I'm truly grateful for all the experiences. You know, I had to take a, a couple steps back each time we made the move. 
Um, but without that extra experience, I don't think that I would be where I'm at today. Did you always want to get into basketball or was it that just, hey, this was an internship that was open and I just kind of found my niche? Yeah, it was an internship that was open. I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no <laughs> clue. Um, the Pacers were just so great in allowing me to be independent and take initiative and learn. Um, that I did fall in love with the basketball side of things. You know, I've never worked in baseball or hockey. I can't, I can't speak to that too much, but obviously the NFL is appealing because you work 10 home games. Mm -hmm. um, I work 10 home games on top of 44 NBA games. I don't feel like I got the full effect of how great that is. However, um, the NBA is just so great in terms of flexibility and what we can do for people and our products and making create creative products out of the 44 games that we have with groups and packages and I just have I've always enjoyed the sport of basketball I grew up playing myself played AU um I have always had a huge love for baseball, but I feel like working in baseball during the summer could ruin it for me. So I've always <laughs> just tried to stay on the path of the NBA side and working during the winter. <laughs> it's funny. I think I had the same comment with, with Megan when we were talking on our, our last podcast that there's half of me would love to work for the Cubs one day. But the other half, I don't want to know how the sausage is made. And I just want right. to that they just walk on water. And I, I don't want to know. Um, so I'm very happy in my, in my current role right now. But and we'll get more into it as we talk about, you know, kind of the day in the life of a salesperson in sports. But you just kind of talked about it. And I thought it was interesting as you were talking about the difference between football and basketball, where in my opinion, I would think it'd be great to be in football because, like you said, 10 home games, you know, not counting playoffs. <laughs> In basketball, you know, you're in the arena twice a week for, you know, five months or however long it is. But kind of explain that to maybe students that are listening. You know, your job, it's not just nine to five where you're working with your partners, but, you know, you're, you're going in early, you're there, you know, at, we'll say five o'clock, four o'clock, whenever, and then you got to come back for the game as well, right? Oh, yeah. We don't even leave for the game. So, um it's, it's been different every team that I've been with. You know, the Pacers, we owned our own arena. We worked in that arena. We just stayed right there all day long. Um, in New Orleans, we were about 20 minutes away from our arena. So we would leave at about 3 o'clock from the office and head down for the game that night. The Pistons was strange because we were still 35 miles away from our new arena. So we were still mm -hmm. working at the Palace for um, two years prior to our, our new offices and our new practice facility being built downtown. So we would – leave way earlier and drive the hour to the game that night. Um, but you still come in at 8, 8.30 in the morning, and then you just work till 9 o'clock that night. The next day, there might be a little bit of flexibility on the time that you come in, depending on how late you were out the night before. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of weeks that have gone from 60, 70 hours at your desk all day long. Um, mm. When you can get up and go into game mode and start, it, it's like a big break of the day of all of a sudden you're going from your desk to just walking around and talking to people. And to me, that's really fun. I've always truly enjoyed working the games more so than sitting at a desk, but you don't even think about it really at the end of the week. Like you're tired. Yes. But like, I hardly have ever counted my hours and been like, geez, I've worked 70 hours this week. Cause you just don't even think about it. Um, also at this point, I don't know anything different. I don't know what sure. I would do my, with myself as working nine to five every day. I'd probably have to come up with some more hobbies or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't think you would necessarily brag on yourself, but but I'll brag for you. I mean, the fact that you know you had bosses calling you know New Orleans and then calling Detroit and then just kind of making spots for you. I mean, obviously you had to work hard and you had to show value to the organization or they wouldn't take the time to do that. And I think, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily rare, you just don't see it happen a lot. So, you know, what type of mentality do you have to have? Or, you know, what type of people are you guys looking to hire who, you know, are gonna be there 40 hours a week in the office and then, you know, another 30 at the game and being able to be outgoing and, and talking with people? What skills do you need to possess to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think I pride myself on just being like a genuinely caring person, um, not only for my members or the people that we're trying to sell, but my teammates as well. So um, I think that, you know, in terms of people calling on my behalf, I think it was always known that I'm very much a team player. I always want to be the best. I'm super competitive. However, I also want my teammates to be the best because I want to be the best of the best, right? So um, really just <laughs> working consistently with my group and just trying to make everyone better and, and backing our organization that's also trying to make everyone better. Um, I say this a lot to, you know, incoming people or interns or anything, but if I worked for, this is what I love about my job. If I worked for Software Inc., I would not be able to do the types of things for people I've had with the Pacers, Pelicans, Saints, Pistons behind my back mm -hmm. um, to be able to upgrade a family into courtside seats and make that memory for them forever or to be able to get a 12-year-old a, a kid to meet Blake Griffin or Derek Rose or any of the things that I've been able to do, um, I would never have been able to do without this brand behind my back. And I think that that has just been recognized that how much I truly love that. And I think that um, I can bring that out in my membership base as well to be able to sell a membership or to be able to retain a membership, you have to portray that same love for your product that your members are going to have as well. If you don't love it, they're not going to love it and you're not going to be able to sell that. Um, so I think it's just working hard and being able to put in the hours and not complaining and having a positive attitude. And I know so much of um, it is I've never been entitled that I've deserved anything or I've just worked for it. And I've proven myself for it and my numbers have shown that and as well as the numbers of those around me. It's just about having the love for what you do and the love for your product. I think that's the great thing about working in sports. I mean, you know, being a former athlete, you know, you kind of get it. The athletes who work the hardest and who come to practice and are good teammates, um, usually going to have pretty good seasons. And I think it's the same thing with working in sport. You know, it doesn't matter if you're that 4.0 student. I've had people say, tell me this all the time, hiring managers, you know, the 4.0 student who did no internships and did nothing else in college to kind of better themselves as far as whether it be sales or marketing or anything, who just went to class, isn't as appealing as maybe that 2.8 student who did internships and volunteered and knows how to sell. There was a ticket manager with the with Indianapolis Colts who said something I'll never forget. He goes, I'm just looking to hire somebody who I would have a beer with. And, you know, I think students hear that and they, they think, oh, well, I just have to be like some type of bro. Or, and that's not the point, but it, you need to be somebody who, yeah, likable is a good way to put it. So, you know, with your current role now, with um, premium and membership development, I see that has to be a, a huge deal as being somebody who's likable because you're dealing with some clients who 
a little bit more higher end or they're going to spend a little bit more money. So tell me what exactly that is it that you're doing in, in your current role? Um, so I oversee a team of about seven people that then oversee all of our members. Um, so they each have their own base, like I did with the Pacers, um, of about 200 to 250 accounts, and they're responsible for retaining them. Um, so a lot of what I do now is, is not only managing them and teaching them how to handle that base and how to renew those accounts and bad objections, um, but also oversee the entire retention model in terms of what benefits we're offering, what their incentives are for renewing, um, what events we're going to host. So it's really all-encompassing. A lot of what I look for in our staff, and it's become more prevalent um, with the COVID-19 pandemic, is genuineness, being a caring person, being able to listen, being empathetic. You're never going to be able to create a relationship if you don't listen to that person, you don't listen to their needs. Everyone will want to talk about themselves in terms of the members and those that you're trying to sell. If you just want to um, promote your own agenda and try to throw something at them that they're not interested in, you're not going to be successful. Um, so really listening to them of what it is that they want and being able to recommend a product based off from that. So my whole thing is like, yes, if someone has a full season ticket plan, we want to get them back in the full season ticket plan at their same revenue amount or higher. However, if they're getting to a point where they have three kids and they can't come every night and it's getting overwhelming for them, then ultimately they're not going to come back in anything if we keep pushing them to what they don't want. So let's try half season. Let's try a 10 game plan. So it's about learning about your membership base and everything that you can offer and being creative and, and truly helping people. So that's where, I, that's where I'm at now. And that's what I try to do with my team is to try to make them realize that um, yes, getting the revenue back is is very important. You know, we, our whole team probably handles about 80% of the revenue of the entire company. It's truly very important. However, like we also want to do the best for our membership base, especially during this time when we're, you know, we're losing a lot of members, but we want them to come back again someday when they feel comfortable. What have you found has been the impact of COVID-19 you know, first in, in how the season kind of ended abruptly. I know they're starting to back up, but for, on the business side for you guys, I mean, it's basically over. We looked at 2021 uh, season, but also, um, you know, with renewals, how's it impacted you guys? So we, we actually had our renewal deadline on March 3rd. So it happened prior to everything really happening in the United States. Um, so we did get a lot of members back prior to that date. But what it really did affect was those last minute um, past the deadline accounts that we are usually can get back with remaining games. So we only had one more game after the deadline before the season was postponed. And that's the time where we really utilize to get in front of people and have more conversations and be able to understand why it is they hadn't renewed yet um, when there's more time and we have most of our membership base back in. So that's, that's kind of what has hurt us to this point. Um, we were able to offer, so we're not part of the NBA restart. Um, so we were able to offer a refund or a credit, a 20% credit on the last eight games that we missed for accounts to roll those back over. So what that did was not only did we allow people to get their money back pretty soon, um, but even if they couldn't take 
the um, credit rollover of 20%, they were still very appreciative that we were able to offer that. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a lot of trust and credibility with our membership base at this point. Um, so we have a lot of people waiting in the wind right now to see what 2020, 21 looks like. Um, but our biggest thing right now is to allow these people to have complete comfortability in having their money with us. And that's what our 20% credit did. So even if ultimately we come back and we're playing with fans and we start the season, if they don't feel comfortable, our goal is to keep them long-term and not force them into something this year and, and keep their hands tied for a 2021 20, membership when we want them to stay with us forever. So the, the true portion of what we're doing now is truly our relationship and making sure that everyone trusts us um, while still being empathetic to everyone's individual needs. You don't necessarily have to answer this from the Detroit perspective, but as we look across the NBA, you know, teams are going to have to kind of adjust. I mean, especially with a lot of, with the mm -hmm. revenue that isn't coming in. So have you kind of heard of, of teams, you know, furloughing employees, having to let go of employees? Do we think it's going to come back and we're going to feel a little bit better once the fall hits or is everything still kind of up in the air? We don't know. I would say up in the air. We don't know. I think we're really trying for this restart right now and we're going to go from there. And I think this is one time too, where the NBA as a whole is, it likes to be at the forefront of everything. However, I think right now during this, everyone's standing kind of back. Let's see what college football does. Let's see how that goes. Um, there's also an election for our season to start. So we never know what's going to change there as well. So we're planning for every scenario, um, restarting with full fans, restarting with social distancing, restarting with no fans. Um, and then we'll just figure it out as we get more guidance from the NBA. Um, but the Pistons as a whole have been a true leader in the NBA in terms of what we're being able to offer everybody in, in our innovative side of the business. So we gave the highest amount of credit to members to roll their money over. Um, also been at the forefront of what a social distance arena would look like and providing ideas to the NBA and what we're doing right now to engage our membership base. We just held a drive-through event for members a week or so ago and, and had them all come through our practice facility and get a gift bag. And so we've really been trying to do everything we can do so you talked about a lot of the, the good traits that a, a salesperson has, and, and you talked about relationships just now, especially through this COVID process. Is there anything else, you know, students need to know or, or advice that you would give students that want to break in to professional sports or, or specifically professional basketball? Network, uh, hmm. pay your dues, you know, all the things that you guys are hearing all the time from your professors that you may not want to listen to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> create your own path, uh, write your own story. So I went to the Pacers to do an internship that was unpaid while paying to go to school and paying to live in Indianapolis. I was paying to work. Um, and then my inside sales role, I got paid $8 an hour with no benefits. Like I put in the work and paid my dues. And I'm not saying that that's the way that you necessarily have to do it, but I utilized that time to get to know everybody I possibly could get to know, create all the relationships within the organization I could. And that ultimately helped me continue to grow. Um, so don't be afraid to do those things. I know not everybody has probably afforded those opportunities to just go into debt like that, but um, the internships and the inside sales programs are really what you need to do to get your foot in the door and start creating your own path. 
Um, I've created my own job descriptions to get promotions. Um, I've put myself in positions to succeed. I found needs for things that I can help fulfill on um, within our organization to make everybody better. And so speak up. Women specifically, uh, you bring another yep. perspective to the male-dominated industry. Express your ideas and creativity without being intimidated. Um, it can help progress you along. I cannot express more the importance of networking. Um, you know, I've been down to trying several times over the last, you know, five or six years here, and I've been able to help a couple of students on their career path. And I would love to do that. You know, I love to be able to give back to the school that, you know, that helped me get on my way as well. And, and some of the professors that helped me on my journey. So keep doing those things. Just, I go back to my trying softball days of work hard, have fun. Coach D is going to love my little plug right there. But <laughs> in our industry, it's the opportunities we've been afforded and the people we've gotten to work around um, can sometimes become stagnant, for lack of a better word, because we take them for granted. So truly enjoy every moment that's put in front of you. And comparison is the thief of joy. Like, don't mm. let other people who are graduating the same time as you and maybe on a different path than you or maybe getting more than you think they should be or you want more of that like don't let other people's career paths deter the path that you're on everyone has their own journey um never in a million years did i think i would end up in new orleans i grew up on a farm like, like i didn't think that that would be a part of my life at all um, but without that, I wouldn't have the experience to be where I am. And I wouldn't have learned another market. And I wouldn't have been able to talk about the NFL. And I wouldn't have been able to learn about different benefits from different teams. And so just go on your own path, go on your own journey, and continue to learn. Just learn everything that you can do. Knowledge is power. So last question, um, because you brought it up and it, and it got me thinking. We talked about this with Megan Madsen. And, and I'll talk about it with you because you are a mom. Is it a little more difficult for women to work in sport? Maybe not break in, although it may be. You, you let me know. But, you know, if you want to have a family, what would you suggest? Or, or just maybe what are some of the hurdles that, that women have trying to break in? That is such a great question. I don't think breaking in um, is any type of problem for women. However, <laughs> when I was in inside sales, I, I tend to take things very personally when you're getting hung up on. And, you know, I think women mm -hmm. tend to take things more personally than men. So to continue to go on your career path in sales, you don't see a lot of women because you kind of have to be hard nosed and be able to take critical feedback. And I, I don't think that women tend to be able to do those things. So just take that with a grain of salt. But I am very fortunate now to work for a company that embraces the fact that we all have lives as well, um, that we all have families as well. And I feel like a lot of other companies don't necessarily do that. A lot of other sports teams don't necessarily do that. Um, we have a new vice president of HR. She's getting ready to have her second baby soon. And since she's been here over the last year, we have developed these work-life balance initiatives that are incredible, that are just unheard of in terms of flexible work hours and working from home days and, you know, extra days for your maternity leave or when you first have a child. And I think without those things, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now. My son is almost two, and so I had I brought him home on opening night 2018. Couldn't have planned that any better. Um, <laughs> but when I came back, I still had to work half a season, and so 
it was hard. Like not only am I coming back to work, but I'm coming back to work where I'm working two or three nights a week on the weekend, 60, 70 hours. And so it was kind of shocking at first. And I have a wonderful husband who's able to pick up the slack at home and help. Um, but it didn't really start getting hard until this year when he's gotten old enough to realize mom is not there at night. Mm. So we've tried to do some creative things where maybe I don't work every game. You know, I've got a really great team that can handle themselves and handle a lot of issues on game nights. Um, we have a manager that's really awesome. I have a VP that's really awesome. We all switch out game dates. So I'm not there every night. I had a couple conversations with some uh, women interns this week as well, talking about the same thing. And I told them when they're asking me, you know, what my five-year plan is or what my goal, my next goal is. You know, I sit and think about when my son is seven and he's playing baseball, I'm not going to want to miss those games. And so right now I take it one day at a time. And when we get to that point, maybe this isn't a career path I can be on any longer. And I think that's where it tends to hit women. Um, However, I see women in our organization at positions higher than myself who are making it work and they are doing it and they are still amazing, wonderful moms. And so motherhood comes with a lot of guilt. And so I just try a lot of the time to not let that get a hold of me and know that I am doing great things and I'm able to be there for him when I need to be there for him. And I'm lucky enough to work for an organization that allows that from me as well. Sometimes I have to make some some tough choices and, you know, you have the fear of missing out. And, you know, sometimes you have to do things that you don't necessarily want to do on both sides, but it's about that balance and finding it and, you know, I, I suggest if you do want to have kids, don't let that deter you from being in a career that makes you work 60 to 70 hours a week. You just figure it out as you go along. You know, you don't have to have this big path and you don't have to have everything figured out every day and you just make it work and you try to go on and figure it out. <laughs> you know, on the other hand, though, he's going to be the only kid at his school who can say, you know, my mom works with, with Blake Griffin. So yep. it's kind of Yeah, he, we took him to his first game this year and he was just walking around and he had his Pistons gear on and he had his Pistons teddy bear in his arms. And, you know, he's talking, well, not talking, but mingling with all my coworkers. And I got home that night and I was like, this is why I do this. Like my husband's going to be able to bring him to games whenever mom's working and I'll see him then. And my husband's going to get to enjoy those nights with his son. And like, this is why I do this. It's like for him to see that his mom is a part of something so much bigger than herself and, can be able to provide these amazing experiences for people. And that's, that's ultimately why I try to make it work every single day. You're absolutely right. And in the interest of full disclosure, when my son was born a year ago, Amber did send me some Pistons gear for him. <laughs> and even though he will be raised a Pacers fan, because his dad is from Indianapolis, uh, he does love his Pistons bear. So you, you may have a new one. We'll see. Never know. You know, there's no there's no competition at all between the Pistons and the Pacers. I don't know why. Oh, no, no. You know, there's no bad blood there at all. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, I still got some hard feeling for 2000. <laughs> That's all right. So Amber, if people wanted to, to find you online. Are, are you on Twitter or LinkedIn? Um, both of those things. So LinkedIn is definitely more of my um, professional base. Um, I don't tweet very often. I use it more for the news, but you can find me there as well. Excellent. Well, Amber, thanks <laughs> for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm happy to be here and happy I was able to uh, speak to you today. Our pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for our next guest in late July. 
We would like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrineCSS. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.